0: This is the Ironside Podcast number 77 with Tom Dinkelman and me, Brett Kane. Good evening, Tom.
1: Hey, buddy. How you doing?
0: Fantastic. The Way of the Sword is the moral teaching of the samurai, fostered by the Confucianist philosophy which shaped the Tokugawa system, together with the native Shinto religion of Japan, the warrior courts of Japan from the Kamakura period, to the Murumachi period encouraged the austere Zen study among the samurai and Zen went hand in hand with the arts of war. In Zen, there are no elaborations. It aims directly at the true nature of things. There are no ceremonies, no teachings. The prize of Zen is essentially personal. Enlightenment in Zen does not mean a change in behavior, but realization of the nature of ordinary life. The end point is the beginning, and the great virtue is simplicity. The secret teaching of the Ito Ryu School of Kendo, Kiryatoshi, is the first technique of some hundred or so. The teaching is Aiuchi, meaning to cut the opponent just as he cuts you. This is the ultimate timing. It is lack of anger. It means to treat your enemy as an honored guest. It also means to abandon your life or throw away fear. The first technique is the last. The beginner and the master behave in the same way. Knowledge is a full circle. The first of Musashi's chapter headings is ground for the basis of Kendo and Zen. And the last book is void for that understanding which can only be expressed as nothingness. The teachings of Kendo are like the fierce verbal forays to which the Zen student is subjected, assailed with doubts and misery, his mind and spirit in a whirl, the student is gradually guided to realization and understanding by his teacher. The kendo student practices furiously, thousands of cuts morning and night, learning fierce techniques of horrible war until eventually sword becomes no sword, intention becomes no intention, a spontaneous knowledge of every situation. The first elementary teaching becomes the highest knowledge and the master still continues to practice this simple training, his everyday prayer. And that was a brief excerpt from the introduction to the Book of Five Rings by Miyamoto Musashi, which happens to be uh, a favorite not only of mine, but of our honored guest, uh, who fortunately is not an enemy of ours, but a friend. We have Alaric the Barbarian. Welcome aboard, brother. Hey, thank you for having me on. Glad to be on here. Well it's a pleasure to have you and yeah, I I want to just rewind a, a little bit so what made you uh choose a a relatively uh obscure figure uh, in Alaric as your as your persona on on the Twitterverse
2: Well it's kind of funny I mean I've been on social media and on uh, sort of anonymous sides of things for a long time and I've never put or at least until this time, I had not put any real thought into my sort of online presence there. Uh, And then I finally decided that I wanted to actually put like serious writing out into the world. So I researched pretty hard and thought pretty hard about uh, what my, I guess, presence would be like. And I wanted to choose a figure that I felt that was in in some way representative. Uh, I like Alaric simply because he's the intersection of a lot as uh, the intersection of well the end of Rome and the beginning of medieval Europe, so to speak. Uh, he was a pagan who converted to Christianity. He was uh, at one at times in his life, he was someone who was building up and trying to create structure, and yet he's most famous for destroying in the sacking of Rome. So I felt that it was a he was a poetic figure, somebody that uh, I thought could be representative and uh, it didn't hurt that nobody else was using the name. So.
0: I love it. That that's rad. It It's a really cool choice. And, and it's been really cool to see you uh, gain uh, so much notoriety because, you know, people just flock to, to you, your, uh, your pinned a tweet, is you should be training in at least one martial art. Sun and steel is not enough. You must fight. You should be comfortable with pain and bloodshed on both ends of the equation. Being physically strong is one thing, being a capable fighter is another. And I think that really speaks to, uh, for lack of a better term, our guys, you know, and, and really anybody who's ever been in, uh, in a physical altercation. Uh, whether warfare or you know a, a schoolyard fight, um, understands this and and resonates with that. So where where did this come from? So you, you told us about choosing Alaric, but when when did you start realizing that you had this philosophy that you you wanted to share?
2: Well, I think with uh with my pin tweet, what I was thinking uh, at least at the time was that a lot of people sort of in the dissident sphere, like to focus on lifting as this crucible to put yourself through. And obviously I think weightlifting is amazing for you. It's a pursuit that should be, you know, enjoyed by just about everybody. But I thought that more, a more proper one, a more productive outlet perhaps is martial arts. And I've been training since I was probably seven years old uh, and it has drastically changed my life for the better and it has significantly contributed to me um, studying and going deeper into philosophy and history, history in particular. So I think that it's a, a a very worthy endeavor.
1: What are some key lessons you've learned from martial arts? I mean, you said since seven years old, so it's been quite a while. What are some things that you are key takeaways and why it's so important? Well, to me,
2: the biggest thing for martial arts is confidence. And it's not just the kind of confidence that you get from knowledge or experience. It's the kind of confidence that you get from knowing that people no longer pose a threat to you. And everybody I know that started training in their adult years has said the same thing, that now they're less stressed about, you know, potentially concerning uh, like a a difficult social situation. or just just generally situations that cause stress. If you know that you have mastery over your own body, and if necessary you ha- can have mastery over another person that's trying to physically impose their will on you, you have this sense of sovereignty that's really irreplaceable. And that's to me that's the single largest thing. Other than that, it's it's obviously it's an athletic endeavor. You're going to build um, strength, agility, cardiovascular endurance, power, all of that. It's going to clear your mind. Obviously, with Eastern martial arts, there's a huge philosophical element to it. And to some extent, I mean, uh, you guys had uh, McDojo Life, That I forget his name, uh, Rob Ingram, one. And to some extent, it can sound a little bit cult-like sometimes, but there's definitely a very valuable element buried in the uh, sort of esoteric element of martial arts. Uh, there's something of a, of a warrior religion that has persisted throughout all of human history. And when you train and when you better yourself toward the end of becoming better at fighting, you are in some way being initiated into that. And as long as you avoid some, you know, the more dubious characters on the scene, usually it's a very philosophically beneficial thing. To me, those are the primary reasons.
1: So would you say that being better physically fight, be, being able to physically fight makes you a better fighter emotionally, mentally, uh, spiritually, uh, socially, you know, all those other aspects of life?
3: I absolutely would. I think that
2: having the, the self, it's the same way, the same effect, at least that occurs with weightlifting in that you discipline yourself more. And that self-discipline carries over to a lot of other elements of life. But with fighting in particular, you're enduring pain and you are playing with danger regularly. And that familiarity with both of those elements generally makes you stronger emotionally, uh, philosophically. Just across the board, you're going to gain more resilience and more focus. And uh, to me, that's another major element uh, in that it's spiritually a self-improvement.
3: I love that. I, I
0: I think that's that's so true for me. Um, I I grew up in, in competing in, in martial arts as well. And the first time I got into a, a fist fight in high school, it was a profoundly spiritual experience, we, which, it, I mean, it sounds hokey. Um, but I think that there are a lot of behind that and and back then it seems like you know almost it was almost uh, in not encouraged but it was it was permissible for for boys to, to fight you know in the schoolyard or, or whatever and you might get a, a slap on the wrist but but now they've really sort of uh, muzzled young men from expressing themselves uh, physically because, now, if kids even shove each other, they're getting suspended. They're getting expelled. Um, you know, there's now litigation, and uh, everyone is is so um, eager to sue someone, and so that you're seeing a huge rise in uh, cyberbullying or or a- escalation to extreme violence beyond fistfights. And, and I feel like if there was just a a better contained safe for lack of a better term safe space for young men to fight each other it would actually help a lot did you have any experience fighting in in school like outside of of competition i mean obviously you're highly disciplined and that's the first rule they taught us was hey oh, you know don't don't use these skills on on the street um but did you ever have anything like that
2: uh, yeah actually uh when i started training i mean i was a young kid but everybody it seems like almost everybody at some point deals with some sort of bullying and I definitely did at that young age so I uh I got in quite a few altercations and that's sort of when I realized that I wasn't just going to the the studio to go you know do something fun that it was actually something that had changed my ability and it is you know it's something that I've uh that's definitely affected me. You, you said that it was a spiritual experience. I definitely agree. Uh, getting into a dangerous situation in which you're relying on yourself and uh, exercising, you know, your will on somebody who's trying to impose their will on you is definitely a uh, heavy experience. I did not fight much past into like unorganized. I didn't fight in high school or anything, simply because of what you mentioned uh, that schools have change the, um, let's say rules there drastically. And, uh, I, I come from a particularly liberal area, so we were early adopters on that. And as a result, even if you defended yourself, if you got jumped by five people and you threw one punch in your own defense, you were out of school for five days. (laughs) And I just was not about that. Um, I think that's a, you brought up that that changes the environment of conflict. And I definitely agree. A lot of people have spoken on this better than me, but it is a fundamental shift from masculine ways of expressing aggression and masculine ways of settling conflict to feminine ways of settling conflict. And overall, that's not a good thing for boys and men, simply because we're not built to function in that environment. We're not built for that sort of social um, jockeying. The social jockeying between men is traditionally physical for a reason. That's what we are built for. And it baffles women generally when guys have a fight or an altercation and then are completely friendly with each other afterwards. Um, To them, violence is the absolute last resort. And the problem is we have society being run by the eternal female HR manager. And that includes school rules, which... uh, take that aggression and subvert it into social means or other means that are just generally unhealthy. So at the cost of eliminating a couple of fights, we spiritually at least harmed an entire generation or gen- two generations of young men. Um, yeah, it's just generally very detrimental. There's also the fact that if you're fighting and you're going to get punished either way, uh, the fights tend to escalate way more For example, the fights that I saw in high school were nearly like lethal at times. It went from, you know, we're going to have a scrap uh, to I am fighting for my life right now, because if I throw one punch, it's the same as if I step on his head. So there's a a physical danger element to that as well. So it just generally a terrible trend, I think.
1: Well, and I would even think that, I mean, you mentioned the, the feminine side of the uh, the HR feminine manager, things like that. I think that even that change in the way that they that things have been addressed and the elimination of 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 physically fighting physically fighting to resolve something has even forced the the hand of the bully to where they do it in that social uh, emotional way as opposed to a physical way, which allows for immediate resolution.
2: Definitely, yeah, I would. Uh... Much rather get punched in the face once than, you know, receive online harassment or something like that for months. Um, And I think most guys would agree with that. Most people in general would agree with that. But at the, in the pursuit of safety for everyone, you know, everyone and everything, the overarching ideology of safetyism, we've managed to make things worse in that angle.
0: And, you know, I, I love what you guys are saying, and we, we've talked about this at length on different episodes, but the cool thing about what you're doing is you know, you recognize the problem, but you're also proposing a solution. You, you, I'm just going through all of your posts here, and you're talking about the, these actionable items that people can do. I mean, th- there's a, such a low barrier of entry right now into martial arts. You know, even if you can't afford to, to join a, a jujitsu gym, you, you can go and get a, a free week. You can just say like, oh, or even just a free training session. And there's probably everyone listening. I, I would be surprised if there weren't you know three or four you know, different martial arts studios that will give you a couple of free lessons. And, you know, if you go to each of those and shop around you, there, you get a whole month of training at, at no cost. And then not to mention the advent of YouTube, there's such get a couple of friends together and just practice like that. It's one of the, the most satisfying things. One of the first guests on the show, uh, Jacob Cornwall was, it was a friend of mine from church and, uh, ended up becoming my boss, but he had never uh, done jujitsu before it, he and I started rolling in the park got him to go out to jujitsu. And now he's, he's like taken off. He's had more competitions than me and and he's doing great. So it's, it's a really quick way to bond with someone is, is to fight them and, and fight with them. I wanted to ask, you know, you, you've talked a lot about historical texts as well. Um, and this, this idea of empathizing, which I know is, is kind of like a, yeah, a word that gets thrown around a lot, but Uh, Today you said, in order to understand historical texts, you have to address them from within their own frame, completely immersing yourself in a past culture's values and ideals. Um, What's been your experience with that?
2: Well, uh, the historical element was actually what first got me into anything non-mainstream. I was obsessed with history uh, for as long as I can remember and studying it and then as I got into higher levels of academic study through school and college, I, um, I noticed a bit of a disconnect and not even a bit of a disconnect, a severe disconnect where people were seemingly incapable of understanding historical texts through anything but a very modern frame. They were incapable of, or at least unwilling to put themselves in the shoes of someone alive in the 15th century or someone even alive in the fifth century BC. And as a result, they were just drastically misrepresenting things. Um, There's also obviously the issue of uh, politicization in history and uh, an element of that that ties in with how uh, one interprets historical texts is the, what I like to call the uh, Howard Zinn mind virus where people can only view history or are taught to only view history through the eyes of the, the quote-unquote silent masses or the downtrodden or the impoverished or oppressed, whatever they want to call them. And they just, they view everything through that angle of who is being oppressed and who's, being, uh, who's leveraging power in a terrible way. And any expression of power is therefore seen as negative. So when we read texts from cultures that were quite focused on individuals developing power or uh, exerting power, for example, any ancient Greek text, if you read the Iliad and your takeaway from it is war is bad, there's something wrong with how you're reading it. Obviously, there are lamentations of the horrors of war and loss in there, but the ancient Greeks were by no means a pacifist people. And in fact, they were recording this uh, historical you know, epic in order to enshrine the glory of the people who died and the people who lived. And there just seems to be a disconnect there where people can only view things through 70s to now, um, pacifism, materialism, and focus on the masses. And, uh, I think the only way to counter that is to
3: propose an alternative. That's
0: powerful. I I think you're, you're absolutely right. And, you know, we're, we're talking about fighting being a spiritual experience and uh, in, in even in Christian texts and, and Christians are, are, are noted for um, meekness and, and turning the the other cheek and, and uh, perhaps to our, our detriment is, is, a lot of mainstream or modern uh, Christianity has completely neutered the idea of of being masculine and capable. and but we see uh, many examples, um, all these heroes from the Bible, and it's it's them doing things that that are violent, you know, David and Goliath, you know, Samson, you know just uh, Peter, you, know, for crying out loud and and obviously the Savior. Uh, healed the guy's ear after Peter drew his sword, but but Peter was walking around armed because that's that's who he was, and I think that there's it's important to remember that, uh, and it, even uh, Alaric, your namesake, converted to Christianity and, and he was a warrior, and we see so many of these Christian warriors. Um, I I don't know if if you've ever heard of or read. Tom and I are, are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But there are some really cool stories in there, even just from a historical standpoint. You should read the war chapters in there. But there are these heroes who talk about not delighting in the shedding of blood, but they're willing to shed their own blood and enemies to protect homes and their families and their religion and, and their freedom um, and these opportunities. There's, there's one character named Ammon who he goes to his enemies, uh, comes before the king, he's captured and he volunteers as a servant and he's tasked with guarding these flocks. And these bad guys come to scatter the flocks and he and all the other shepherds are in despair because if they lose the sheep, they're gonna be executed. And Am's like, oh, this is great. And he says, now's the chance to show my power. And then he kind of catches himself and he's like, or the power that is in me. And he goes and like cuts off the arms and kills a bunch of the bad guys and, and then has an opportunity to be a missionary. So I think that being comfortable with violence is a, is a virtue that we can't get away from. So obviously, you know, we've talked about childhood and, and what you're doing now. What does your routine look like? Obviously, you're very well-read. You're very well-spoken. Um, you're active uh, on the interwebs. What's your training routine? What's your nutrition like?
3: What what's your reading schedule? How- uh,
2: well, the thing with that is that I am, I, I don't think I'm an icon of health, but I definitely try to um, do my best to optimize my own time. Uh, right now, I have a job that allows me to work from home, so with that, and a lot of people do as well at the moment. And I think the most difficult thing with that is a countering the desire to just not do anything. Inertia, that's what it is, finding inertia. If you can find inertia, then you can exercise. I I work out usually twice a day. Um, One thing that I do that a lot of people um, don't is I stretch for probably 30, 45 minutes almost daily. I just work on flexibility and mobility. That has led to me having basically zero training injuries in the past couple of years. Um, I lift, but I I recently published an article on lifting for martial arts. I'm not as much of a a bodybuilder or lifter as others. I just do simple uh, five by five power cleans, um, squats, overhead press, and then some side lifts as well. And I mean, I, I train MMA most nights of the week when I can. I go in and I spar, I, I train. Sometimes I uh, I teach classes. I actually, much of my martial arts sort of pedigree came out of starting to teach kind of young. Uh, I broke my ankle when I was maybe 12. So I started helping out with young kids classes when I was still doing karate. And from there, that just developed into a really constant routine of being at the studio for four hours at a time um and I, I still maintain that or as close to that now as possible just just a lot of kicking the air and <laughs> hitting a heavy bag um, yeah, hope and sparring whenever i get the chance
1: what do you recommend for the for the guys uh, the, the people that are older that maybe have some chronic ailments or injuries things that they're trying to work through in general and are kind of nervous about some of the the potential injuries that come uh, with the martial arts.
2: So that's that's one element that I actually have a
1: good bit of experience
2: with when I was teaching uh, kickboxing and whatnot. Um, Generally, the biggest issues come with mobility. And I talked about stretching. That is just so important, especially as you get older. Uh, I know people that are in their 50s and 60s that can hit a full split and they're still able to do essentially full martial arts training. Uh, Obviously, they're not going to be fighting in the ring, but they can still spar, train, do calisthenics, um, drill, all of that at pretty much the same capacity as they could when they were 20 or 30. So, maintaining a routine as your routine, specifically to prevent injury, is really important and just not stopping usually people especially older people that potentially have chronic issues they tend to get injured when they come back after a while and they just go straight back into the routine um i mean i've seen i don't want to get too particular of information here but two specific ones a uh, guy came back he was in his 40s and uh, he hadn't been in for probably six months first time First time he did anything martial arts related or almost anything physical in those six months, and two minutes into the class, he we were working on heavy bags and he smacked his foot into the bottom of the heavy bag, broke his whole entire foot, and just is brutal. And it was just because he hadn't been, he didn't ease himself back into it. Um, Another case was a guy who came back after a similar length of time, his might have been longer, and uh, wanted to spar right away, which was fine. He had been training for. A very long time it wasn't an anomaly but he was a lot slower on his feet and he was his footwork wasn't as good because he hadn't been training and he hadn't been exercising and he got wheel kicked in the face and his retina detached though it seems like those are the main injuries Uh, i think people overhype the injury rate of martial arts especially for people let's say over 40 but Really, the issue is if you stop and then you don't ease yourself back in, in my experience. And then once you're in, not maintaining a mobility routine. I know those are kind of random, but you
0: no, know, those are great. Sorry, Tommy, what were you going to say?
1: Same thing you were going to say. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I, and it's funny because you see that you know obviously on a very personal and local level but even on a grand scale you know we we could talk uh ad nauseum about the problems in in the ultimate fighting championships and and other combat uh sports uh promoters because you know you look at conor mcgregor uh ronda rousey you know these these icons of the sport it, it takes some. Them- off, they, they suffer a loss and then they're out of the game for a while. And then they come right back in and they hand them a title shot and they get just absolutely destroyed. Um, you know, I, I don't know if, if you watch MMA, um, but it, and I think that's the problem. It's like, you, he, you can't just rest on your laurels um, in, in any form, in any uh, aspect of life. Like you absolutely have to maintain I, how can people not lose that inertia or what's the best way to ease back
3: into the swing of things? See, that's,
2: that's definitely tough because it's very uh, individual. Uh, for example, recently, there was a period of about four months where I didn't train. Uh, I was away from home. I didn't have access to a, you know, a consistent martial arts gym. And my thing was that when I came back, I I did the same thing. I tried to go back right into the swing of things immediately. And then I was discouraged because, well, everything hurt and I wasn't fighting well. So I took some time to, this works for me again. I don't know if this, this can work for anybody else, but I just ran myself through classes essentially and drilling very slowly and particularly for about two weeks, just every night and that got me back into the swing of things and once then i was able to go back to full intensity Uh, so i think the the muscle memory and the mobility are the two biggest things if you can find a way to reactivate those then you can you can bring yourself back in generally lower
3: risk
1: well and i think this is a per again a perfect metaphor for life in general Right? when we take a when we take a step back from the things that we're doing regularly, all of a sudden we lose the muscle memory. When we we lack flexibility, we lack the ability in order to adapt to the situation. And if we're not doing constantly taking the reps and getting better, uh, then that's just it. We move backwards way faster than we do forward.
2: Definitely, I mean, fighting like anything else is a perishable skill. Um, even if you. Like for example, if you laid in bed for like two months, and even if you were somehow exercising your legs during that time, so your muscles didn't atrophy, when you got back up out of bed, you would not immediately remember how to walk. Uh, It would mess with you. And that's a very simple skill, one that we practice from birth. Fighting is a very, very complex skill. And you can't just take off months or years and then expect to go right back into it. to me, the solution to that is just don't stop training. Uh, obviously, that's not always feasible and there, there's obstacles in life, but finding some way to just keep going. I had an instructor who had a serious knee surgery and uh, he was out for maybe three months and he was initially he was in a wheelchair and he was shadow boxing in the hospital room. And obviously, that's a, you know, he, he's like a borderline Jocko kind of guy, but that that kind of persistence is what you really need. And the great thing about martial arts, to me, is that it develops that kind of persistence and drive.
0: That's such a good example. I, I'm glad you mentioned Jocko. He he's a, a big source of inspiration behind uh, starting this podcast, and and I, I've got to to meet him on occasion. And yeah, and, and And the cool thing is like not, not taking anything away from, you know, your trainer or or even Jocko, but we see these guys as paragons and, and they absolutely are. They're incredible, but they're not doing anything that's beyond all do the things that, that they do and, you know, maybe not as high of a scale but we can all get better we can all get better at fighting we can all get uh better you know socially spiritually intellectually physically and it, it is just having a, a little bit of discipline um, I'm so glad you talked about taking the time to to stretch and you know I, I like your five by five uh, are you familiar with pat mcNamara have have you seen his combat strength training
2: I recognize the name but not off the top of my head
0: sorry no, no, you're good, man. Uh, yeah, we we had him on the show. He's he's been on Rogan and, and Jocko as well. Totally legit, dude. Like you you would actually really resonate with him, and his combat strength training program um, is is like right up your alley. So yeah, we'll have to talk about that offline. Um, but I wanted to ask, you know, see, so you've obviously are very well read. What would you say for for people who maybe haven't read to the extent that you have or have a hard time getting into the the histories, um, what's the, the first step for them?
2: To me, I think the, the best thing you can do is find something that you want to be obsessed with. Uh, and this is what I do with history. And I, I suspect that as my Twitter account goes on longer, people will start to realize this. But I just find a topic and I go into it really, really hard for like three weeks at a time. Uh, there was a period where I read every book there is on submarine warfare, just in a short period, just just because I liked it. And that's the kind of thing that that keeps you engaged and keeps you learning more because you're finding something that you want to, like, that you want to learn about. Uh, so, you know, a lot of times people put up these, uh, like, classic books recommendations or, like, a a classical education well-rounded reading list, and that's amazing, and you should at least by the time you die, get through those. But at the same time, if you're just reading books to read books with no, you know, passion, you're not going to retain anything and you're not going to take the really important lessons there. Uh, So to me, for history, that's finding one kind of general topic and then just becoming an expert on it just for fun. Uh, And in literature, it's I, I like to read one author at a time, just power through their works. Uh, I forget who said it, I want to say it was zero HP Lovecraft, but there was a tweet about reading slower, and going through things slower and not trying to shotgun approach to um, becoming more well read, or well versed, just lasering in on something, and then slowly working yourself through it, and then lasering in on something else and continuing that way. I think you can become extremely well read that way. At least that's my tactic there.
0: I love that. I think that's awesome.
2: Yeah, you know, and a, a
0: great place to start too is you know we we have so many guys in, in our sphere who have great uh, book recommendations and and great authors as well. Um, so yeah, really, it's just it's it's pick a point and then work your way from there. But yeah, just just start. I mean, just start doing something. Just start reading. Um, my brother-in-law, he he he's been on this show and. He really uh, showed me something that I had never thought of, but now I see it all the time. And it's people who who go for walks with a book and they just read while they're walking. And I was like, holy cow, like I never even thought of that. <laughs> um, so yeah, you just have to be creative. I wanted to ask you as well, you know, you've got so many great posts on here. Um, what What do you feel is some of the, the best things that you've shared. I mean, obviously, like, I, I could just go on and on about some of the great insights you had. Like, you, you pointed out that uh, how so many um, modern leftists are trying to make everything gay. Uh, if there are, you know, historical figures or fictional uh, friends, you know, that, that had a, a rich, meaningful... Uh, friendship. Oh, they must be be gay. Um, how do you decide, like, what what topic you're you're going to post about?
2: Uh, it's it's definitely funny because half the time it's from some random book nobody's ever heard of that I found as a PDF, and the other half the time it's because I saw some tweet by a uh, poorly intellectually endowed individual and just got mad about it. Uh, I, I find I found that for me, writing when I'm a little bit angry brings some better content. But uh, with the historical topics, generally, there's—I I mean, there's so many individual elements that I've seen in education and in media that I, I think could be improved. Uh, the the homosexuality thing is one that I've seen a lot recently, and the thing is that. Yes, the left or leftists online want to make everything gay, but it's not just that. It's that they're incapable of thinking of anything as not gay because they're so steeped in the culture of it. There's no point of reference for anything that isn't a society that integrates homosexuality. And as a result, it tends to corrupt uh, masculine you know, relationships and emotions in historical texts and in historical reading. Uh, I think the first one I ever saw that just made my jaw drop at how stupid it was, was Gilgamesh and Echidnu. Uh, I was reading it. A, yeah. Yeah. A, yeah, it's just terrible. And if you read the original text, and if you don't come at it through like a porn brained perspective... It's very obviously not that, and it's with so many of these other figures. It's to the point that it's so overrepresented that if I ever see a claim to any historical figure being gay, I just generally disregard it until I can really get into the primary sources, because uh, there's very few that actually were, and it's just a it's just a sad consequence of the uh, the the cultural hegemony of. The liberal left right now being so dominant that it's even affecting heavily how we view the past
1: well and i think i mean we can put all the blame there but the truth is is we have some of that blame in the fact that we've avoided the appearance of it so much that men have avoided uh these emotional relationships uh within their tribe within other men and it's allowed for this redefining of of what is what is gay what is straight what is you know a, a true heterosexual uh loving relationship between two guys
2: yeah the interesting thing about that to me is that it's um it's a little bit of a chicken and egg situation and that if homosexuality is constantly like latent as a cultural element that's that's uh, prevalent uh, guys are more wary of appearing homosexual. They're, they're more wary of appearing gay. And as a result, they find like close relationships with other men to be a little bit sketchy. They find physical contact with their friends, again, a, just a little awkward. It's constantly tinged by that. Uh, somebody in that thread I wrote today, somebody replied and called it the implied homoeroticization of life. And I think that's that's definitely a good descriptor. And as a result, that's, you know, on one hand, it misrepresents things. But on the other hand, it actually affects behavior and makes guys even more alienated and more atomized than they are uh, just because of the modern world. Uh, because then, you know, forming close relationships is a little awkward. You're always a little bit weirded out by it. At least uh, that's probably one of the only critiques of masculinity by feminists today that rings true is that guys are less emotionally vulnerable than they should be. But I think that's, again, a feature or a function of uh, the society and culture that we've created.
1: Well, I think part of it has to do with the fact that in order to do so, it means that we have to be submissive. And, you know, there's that view of being submissive, especially to another guy. And so much so, we, you know, we talk about things being redefined and changed. I mean, look at even we've talked today a lot about fighting, about mixed martial arts, about uh, about even war. But truth is, is even the the very word violence has been redefined to where you see these protesters holding up signs that say silence is violence. I mean, I, and I can't figure out how that can possibly even work.
2: Well, as soon as we let them get away with words or violence, I guess silence is violence was the next logical one. Um yeah, it's definitely that's definitely an interesting element to me because we are so we are so afraid of violence and so concerned with the notion of violence, just the philosophical notion of it, that we tend to like look for it in everything. It's this this boogeyman of violence. And we don't recognize that, first of all, we live in the most peaceful time of human history, period, full stop. and Also that violence is just an inherent part of living. The world nature is violence. Human nature is violence. Men are built for violence. All of human society is carefully structured around the prospect of and the execution of violence. Uh, The fact that we live in a peaceful time where we can protest about silence as violence is a function of centuries of policy and philosophy that has done everything to make the world less violent. and we just tend to somehow misrepresent all of that and just it comes back again to the focus on safety is above all we just we just find this boogeyman of violence in everything and kind of refuse to reckon with human nature or you know anything about the modern world and how it came to
3: be
1: so how do we reverse that trend
2: start a fight club (laughs)
1: i mean brett brett always lovingly tells me he's willing he's going to come punch me in the face so
2: yeah it's uh, just generally becoming a little bit more like martial arts becoming familiar with violence that that's another element that's sort of underrated because most men today I, i don't want to say necessarily most but a lot of men today especially young men especially teenagers today have never even they just don't even understand what violence is in any scale, way, shape, or form. Like, they don't participate in sports. There's not even controlled, like, let's say, football or soccer violence. They've um, never
1: been allowed to be bullied.
2: No, that's, that's also true. They've, they've been made fun of and socially ostracized, which is also damaging. But at the same time, there's no concept of even what use of physical force looks like. And for, uh, you know, one one of my favorite quotes that I I repeat very frequently to myself or to people I know is, force is the supreme authority from which all other authority is derived. I believe it's Hobbes. But people tend to become so alienated from that because they're alienated from the concept of violence. And that tends to result in both personal, let's say, detriment uh, in that you know, you can't defend yourself, you don't even know what a threat looks like. And at the same time, a lot of really the worst social views and policy views today are functions of the fact that people kind of forget that the state's job is to enforce things via violence because they don't even understand what violence is.
0: Yeah, I man. It 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 is it, it really is you know and you'll see all these like qualifiers like the people da- denounce oh gun violence like you know like as if violence needed you know a qualifier um, but yeah it, it, they they really don't understand it I know um, uh, Dr Jordan Peterson has, goes in and out of, of favor with, with some of our friends um, and I think a lot of the the criticism of him is is valid but. I got to to see him in Seattle last week with my wife and my sister and my mom, um, and, and I think he has some good things. But one of the things that I really liked that he said was that you know people will, when they hear about these atrocities committed, um, that they'll say, "Oh, I could never imagine doing something like that." Oh, you know, and 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 it's just kind of a cop out, you know, to. To demonstrate their virtue, but one of the things that he said is like you—you you have to be able to understand, you know, and and empathize. Like even if you don't agree, especially if you don't agree, it's like okay, well, what would make someone do that? Uh, jocker recently talked about this. Uh, you know, there there were uh, um, some seals out, and and there was a 12-year-old kid uh, who was getting ready to fire an RPG at a convoy so so they killed him and and you know the which is obviously horrible but you can't have uh, rpgs fired at you but they were talking it's like okay well let's walk this back where how did this kid get here and they said okay you know 12 year old kid you know his dad is probably dead or gone you know there's he's he's not playing football you know he's not going to school he, you know there are no games there's no sports there's no girls like there there's n- no outlet for him and then so if, if you get uh you know some some guys that that come up and say hey you know we'll give you uh a hundred uh denarii if you shoot this at at the americans and he's like oh yeah and it's like yeah I would do that you know if i if I was that kid, and so you have to be able to empathize with with your enemies and you have to be able to uh, understand violence if you ever want to be effective uh, at at being peaceful
3: definitely i mean uh, the the classic what's the classic
2: quote uh it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war um, that's that's more of a personal preparedness note, but just socially in general, it's funny, the people that are most severely opposed to violence right now, uh, let's say the radical left, the people that can't even rectify the possibility of violence ever being needed, are simultaneously the most violent people out there. They're out there in terms of politically. You know, they're rioting, they're beating people with skateboards, they're, uh, if you guys remember Berkeley around 2015, oh that, no. was, that was nuts, that was borderline like uh, the forget the name of the revolution, the communist revolution in Germany, where there was a ton of street fighting. Yeah. I've seen some parallels drawn and it's, it was exactly like that. And at the same time, they're the ones now holding up signs and say silence is violence or words are violence. It's just baffling. And it's, to me, it's because they don't even understand the nature of violence and they, they, either that or they intentionally misrepresent it. Um, The other thing too, is that when you don't understand anything about the application of violence, even on like a personal level, you don't understand a lot of the political issues of the day. Uh, for example, any of these police brutality cases, for example, I, I hesitate to talk too much on this, but any of these police brutality cases, all the time you see comments where there's a shooting of somebody who's stabbing people in public, for example. It's, oh, couldn't they have, you know, shot him in the leg or like tackled him or something? And anybody that's A, shot a gun, B, been in the military and had to train, or C, grappled or trained martial arts knows that that is completely infeasible. But again, most people have none of that knowledge or experience. And as a result, they just fall into this uh, sort of purposeless discourse of, well, if John Wick was there, he could have shot him in the knee. And it, it poisons a lot of, conversations around anything violence related uh, both our aversion to violence and our misunderstanding of it i know that's a bit of a tangent there but it's interesting
0: no that, that's really well said yeah you know it's it's funny that, that you brought up berkeley i don't know are, are you familiar with jake shields uh, the mma fighter
2: yeah i follow him on twitter he's funny
0: Oh, dude, I love that dude. Yeah, we're we're uh, we're trying to get him on on the show as well. So shout out to Jake Shields, but he was he was there and he actually like stood up to uh, to some of those uh, riders, and it was there's some video of him. So it's it's pretty cool to see that he's just as capable outside the octagon as, as in it. Um, which brings up a, kind of a a lighter question who would you want to fight with and who would you want to fight against historically, any, any time period, anyone, individual or army? That's a,
3: that's a hell of a question.
2: Um, I mean, I, you guys started off with Musashi. I write a lot about Musashi. He is somebody that I historically speaking, greatly respect. Um, So out of the Eastern tradition, probably him to fight with. Uh, I think that would be incredibly just cool. (laughs) And uh, out of the Western tradition,
3: probably fighting under Alexander or Richard the Lionheart would be just incredible.
2: Uh, Both men of great force and great ability. I mean, the third, Crusade. I've been, obsessive over the crusades for a long time and the third crusade was a in large part just sheer force of will
3: richard's part Um, yeah against
2: i i read sword and scimitar recently if you guys are familiar uh it's the book but yeah raymond abraham it's it's very good on the the nature of conflict between christianity and islam and the Battle of Tours stands out to me uh, as a battle that it would be it would have been interesting to at least witness because you had this massive army of completely deranged individuals who had never experienced a defeat in all of Europe. And they had essentially no tactics, but that hadn't mattered until this point. and uh, the the Franks just apparently demolished them. Despite being infantry against Calvary. Uh, just just a fascinating battle. I'd say if I, if I
3: had to participate, that would be that would be a choice.
0: Great choice. I love that. I, I want to ask also, what what do you think about the significance of Alaric? you know, when he's obviously uh, going through and, and just uh, decimating Macedonia, even Sparta, and just all these these cities. Um, and then he comes to Athens, and he's awestruck by the beauty of it, and and he leaves that in peace.
2: That's, that's just a factor that's unfathomable to people today. Um, the idea of a general conquering places or pacifying places, and then finding somewhere that is either beautiful or respectable or admirable in some way and then just not conquering it uh and the 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 thing is that today ever since just about world war one we have total war and proxy war and nothing else and as a result the uh, the spiritual element that was present in prior conflicts tends to be disregarded and we tend to want to find secular explanations, or not even secular, just like strategic explanations for any action that was taken by, you know, an individual leader's idiosyncrasies. Uh, Alaric is definitely a good case for that. Uh, unfortunately, I have not. I've been hunting for months at this point for a really comprehensive source on Alaric, and I cannot find much. I find all of these sources that deal with his military command or his life in general, like tangentially, but nothing direct. So I need to, if you guys have book recommendations, let me know. Uh, Cause I'll, I'm hunting for scraps.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I've encountered the same thing and uh, Gibbons is a uh, decline and fall of the Roman empire. It That like that, there's some good information, but like you said, it it's all, you know, from the, the Roman side of things and, and, uh, Alec is kind of, you know, just a, a tangent, you know, or just, you know, not, not the focus. So yeah. Hey, you know what, I think you might have to, to uh, find, find some sources, and then you're just going to have to write your own, dude.
2: That would be a, that'd be a really fun project, honestly. Um, I mean, I could publish through the Dissonant Review. I've been
3: working yeah. on that for a while now. So <laughs>
0: Absolutely. I, you know, I think that's a great venture. I think, you know, we, we've stumbled onto something that there's a definitely a, a, a need for it. So I can't think of anyone better to tackle such a daunting project than yourself.
3: Well, thank you. That'd, that'd be
0: uh that honestly would be incredible. <laughs> yeah, man. <we're, laughs> support you in any adventure you do. Oh, sorry, Tom, I cut you off. I there, say this is a little
1: bit off topic. Uh, well, it's not, and it is at the same time, we've talked a lot about guys being able to fight. Uh, I mean, that was the very first thing we talked about was your, your pinned post. Uh, how do you feel about also girls? I mean, Brett and I are both girl dads and how do you feel about girls learning that same skill and having the ability to embrace the, the conflict, the violence, being able to, have, to learn how to fight as well?
2: See that's a that's a really tough topic because I think that it's a more it's a more nuanced question than for men, um, simply for the main reason that most most girls, especially you know younger girls, don't want to really learn how to fight. At least in my experience, and you know teaching youth classes for a while, generally the the female students anywhere from let's say like five to fourteen didn't get into it really or get really interested until they had been training for maybe five or six months at their parents' uh, behest. So for kids, I mean, I think it's a great thing across the board for kids to learn how to fight and for uh, women especially to have a self-defense
3: ability. Um, With that being said, I think there's an issue in the adult martial arts world with female, uh, let's say, inclusion to the point of exclusion uh
2: it's a relatively new phenomenon because even up until let's say the i want to say the 90s or early 2000s martial arts you know karate kickboxing wrestling jiu-jitsu all of that were still pretty male dominated so i think we're still figuring out the norms there <laughs> but generally my experience is that for the few women that do want to train martial arts they will train just as hard and just as well as men it's just a, a smaller element of the the group as a whole
1: it's, I've had this conversation yeah. with my 16 year old about you know taking up something like that and she actually had a lot of interest in it you know I, I said you know it would be nice to just go hit something in general and so I, I was I'm always curious about how that's viewed you know is this a, a feminist thing and that's not my daughter's approach by any means but is that how many of the women in the mixed martial arts are viewed or are they you know embraced to the point where they recognize that there's other added benefits for them as well.
2: See that's that's interesting because I think it depends heavily on where you are. Now I've I've trained at this point at want to say four different gyms, yeah, four different gyms to speak of. Um and at The karate and like more traditional focused ones, kickboxing and karate, there was very much this feminist push. And I wrote about this a while ago in that, uh, especially in the traditional martial arts, there was a lot of sort of pampering there. And as a result, uh, a lot of the girls involved in that, this is when I was probably about 15, 16, that I sort of had these experiences, but they were there as like a social expression more so than as a training method. Uh, and I'd say that was probably about seventy percent. But the thirty percent that were there to fight and the thirty percent that are at my current gym there to fight are you know, they are just at they're gaining just as much from it as the men. Uh, again, though, it's just it's just the interest, I think. Um, we've done a lot to kind of mess up gender, like individual gender. I don't even know how to describe it, but we've done a lot to mess with that element of the world everywhere. And if it's being done for the right reasons, women train, you know, women training is just as beneficial to them as it is to men. If it's being done for the wrong reasons, I think it's actually detrimental to the overall training environment.
1: So what would you consider the, the wrong reason? Simply the social aspect of it, or is there something else that would be included in that?
2: Well, th- this applies more to, um, people I'd say in like the early twenties, but if you're filming yourself at any point while you're training, you're probably not there for the right reason. And that is something I've only, I've only ever seen like, I'd say that's across the board. yeah, it's, it's the same thing as weightlifting. Like if you're going to be at a powerlifting gym and you're there to film TikToks, you're not, you're not meaningfully powerlifting. You're doing a social media thing. Um, and then there's also the, the fact that this is more of a safety issue, but I know a lot of uh, women that have trained martial arts for like a really brief period to get some self-defense knowledge and then stopped and thought that that was like enough. And the, I, I see problems with that simply because it instills a sense of false confidence. Uh, for example, I hate the concept of a self-defense seminar for women I think that is like the most detrimental thing humanly possible because it affects behavior in such a way that now the women who have taken that class are much more confident putting themselves in dangerous situations when they really have no right to be more confident in their physical ability. I hate to say it like that. It sounds bad, but it's just factually true. with one seminar's worth of self-defense techniques, you're not going to overpower a average male that wants to, you know, do something. So To me, it's again, it's if they're there for the same reason as most male fighters, which is to become better at inflicting violence and to get in better shape, then great, then it has all the same benefits. But if it's there either as a social media play or as a uh, just like a little, you know, oh, I'll just pick this up to get better, you know, to be a little safer. I, I don't think that that's necessarily beneficial.
1: Yeah, I've even heard it said that white belts are the most dangerous to themselves.
2: Yeah, definitely. And in, in grappling at least, white belts are dangerous to you. I mean, I've been I've had weird situations, I've experienced weird situations with total beginners more times than like near injuries or like near joint breaks or something. I've experienced that with beginners more so than anything else. And then they tend to have a confidence outside of the gym. It makes them want to be more
3: likely to engage in a fight, which is just terrible. So, how
1: does somebody get started?
2: Um, To me, it's just find, find, first of all, something that you're interested in that you're going to train with uh, for a long time. A lot of people on firearms training say that the best, like people, you know, debate intricacies of different handguns or rifles, but really the the best gun is the one that you're going to take to the range every week. And the same thing applies with martial arts. If you are training like jujitsu, for example, simply because you think that you know, jiu-jitsu is like the best thing, but you're really not that interested in it, you're not going to maintain it. You're not going to grow in it. Uh, you're not going to become a very good fighter with it. If your interest then is more something like kickboxing or even karate, then do that. Or alternately, if you're interested, you know, so on. Uh, so find something really that you're interested in. Go to a gym. So if would you recommend is-
1: trying a bunch of different ones to start?
2: Oh, um if you can, I mean, it's feasible for people in big cities, but not really outside of that. I, at least in my experience, um, yeah, you know, I'm from a suburban area and I could train like in high school, I could have gone to a, like a, two, three karate places, a Kung Fu place, two jiu jitsu gyms, a Krav Maga place and a Muay Thai gym. And you know, that's that's a great environment where you can try out a lot of different ones. But uh, for example, if you're somewhere a little more rural, there might be one or two places and that's it. So if you can try them, definitely try them. Uh, I think there's also, I mean, we do live in the internet age. So finding something that you're interested in online might be a good approach. And to me, the the thing past that is just go and do it. Don't Don't do any further... Like once you know what you want to do and you found a gym, just go and do it and don't read articles or whatever about it for like six months until you actually know what you're doing. Uh, it's, it's very much a, I mean, we talked about Jocko earlier, but very much a Jocko, just go approach. I think it's the best.
3: That's awesome. I totally
0: agree. Yeah. hundred percent. And, you know, I obviously Tom, I I know you and your family, and so I'll, I'll definitely be happy to to teach the girls some some boxing and and some jiu jitsu anytime. But you know, I I love jiu jitsu so much. I, I I have won most of my MMA matches through jiu jitsu, uh, but my favorite and and what I've trained the longest is, is just. Uh, straight up boxing, and and I've done some some Thai boxing as well, some Muay Thai, um, but yeah, I think like Jiu Jitsu, boxing, you know, kickboxing, and wrestling, those are you can't go wrong with any combination of those, and and I might get some pushback on this, you know, from from better uh, competitors than myself, but. But really, I think you could just mix and match the order. I know a lot of people are, are really heavy on, on the wrestling as, as the foundation. And I think if you had to pick the best, I'd say wrestling. Um, and I know a lot of girls that are doing high school wrestling now too. Um, but yeah, wrestling, boxing, jiu-jitsu, kickboxing, like, yeah, and, and I knew some, some girls that were like total bad a's in college, uh, that did taekwondo karate it's yeah you you really can't go wrong as long as you're training and trying things
2: yeah definitely it's it's again it's inertia uh you can even if you're doing something that's a little bit yeah uh, let's say i don't want to say useless but a little bit less useful like uh wing chun or something it's something you know <laughs> Uh, we tend to get lost in these, at least online, people tend to get lost in these conversations of, you know, what's the optimal thing to do and forget that most of the people reading them aren't doing anything. So to me, it's, it's just important to start and do something. Granted, if you're going to build like a perfect fighter, you'd probably have them wrestling and doing Taekwondo as a kid, and then moving into kickboxing fights as a teenager or doing jujitsu, you know, so on. But that doesn't matter. And almost no MMA fighter has actually followed that approach, like professional. Uh, so just the the inertia of it and the interest in it
3: are the most important things.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, great question, Tom. Uh, real quick, uh, Alaric, what would you or who would you say is, is your favorite uh, MMA fighter and, and boxer or just any combat sports practitioner now?
2: Oh, Yuri Prohaska. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I have a very similar, like traditional background and philosophy, which he seems to be very much into. And he's just so fun to watch. I saw his, uh, first fight actually in the UFC and I was just immediately a fan. It was, uh, I don't remember the number of the event, but the title was Usman Masvidal. And the, that title fight was really boring. But the Prohaska fight was awesome, and I've been a fan of him ever since. Uh, in terms of boxing, kind of a kind of a deep cut, but I really like watching Prince Nassim Hamed. Uh, he's great a little bit, yeah, a little bit before my my time of really being into fighting, but just that flexibility. Um, earlier, I forget who said it, but somebody said white belts are the most dangerous, and sometimes. Sometimes he looks like he's never taken a boxing class in his life because he's just doing things that make no sense in boxing strategy, but at the same time, it's perfect. And it's, it's the result of such extensive training that he's no longer working within the frameworks at times, obviously he's not, he was never the best boxer in the world, I would say, but just, there's a lot to be learned from the style.
0: Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I want to ask, you know, I, I also did uh, a lot of uh, swordsmanship growing up, and I, I was always just super into to swords. Like anytime I'd be doing a, a project with my dad in the yard or, or the wood shop, I would just be finding anything that I could use as a sword, like picking up sticks or, you know, dowel rods or just anything and start twirling it around, and it, it drove my dad bonkers uh, and we we've had some uh historical european martial artists uh on here as well what would you say about that because you know a lot of people looking at that as kind of you know live action role playing larping uh to be into the you know the the more medieval uh martial arts and and obviously even before that ancient weaponry swords and armor what do you think about that
2: I think we need to uh, reclaim swords a little bit um the thing is that swords are only cringy at least in my view because the people for the past 10-15 years that have really been interested in them tend to be kind of fat neck beardy chronically online guys and that gives them that gives swordsmanship a bad name you know you get the oh i studied the blade people but it's really a valuable piece of uh, martial arts training in general, just for getting better at like even hand to hand fighting. Um, obviously, that's that's separate from the element that it's really fun. But I'm I'm a big proponent of at some point learning some kind of swordsmanship and sparring with swords, because it makes you understand leverage and distance a lot better. Uh, and specifically, if you do like uh, kendo or something like that the or even fencing the focus on commitment is so high that it mentally benefits you in regular fighting um because being sort of wishy-washy or really defensive is is punished in sword fighting so you know while on one hand it it, you know it can be a little marpy sometimes uh, i do think it's valuable and i do think that it's a cool effort to try and reconstruct historical sword arts
0: yeah, I totally agree. You know, it's funny. Um, I are you familiar with Tanner Guzzi online? Really cool guy. I don't know. If no, I'm see. sorry, I'm not. Oh no, no, yeah, you should definitely check him out. But he's actually the one who introduced Tom and me. And, and he was on a walk with his, his family, and one of his kids, you know, it was kind of, you know, complaining and not not super into to being outdoors. But uh, his his kid was really into playing The Legend of Zelda. And he said, oh, well, what would Link do right now? And, and his kid had kind of an epiphany. He's like, oh, yeah. And like runs out into the into the brush and it, like starts playing around it. And I think like that's what's so sad to me about the neck beardy, you know, like uh, kind of, for lack of a better term, nerdy stuff. It's like, you know, if you guys like this stuff so much, like why don't you actually do it? You know, like, you know, people wear, superhero stuff it's like okay you know uh batman wouldn't be eating a a bag of doritos right now he'd be doing push-ups you know like that kind of thing like uh it seems like there's a weird disconnect um and i I think that you know if if you're interested in something you should be like committed to that and and uh, and
2: do it for real definitely i mean the as everything trends towards artificiality in the world, um, you should be doing everything humanly possible to do genuine things, uh, especially you know genuine physical things. Uh, because you know, video games are fun, online stuff is fun, uh, but it's not it's not the same ever as doing the actual thing. You know, um, with sword in particular. Uh, I do think that in the next couple of years, we're probably going to see a bit of a a moment for HEMA. And we're already starting, at least in my view, already starting to see a little bit of a moment for that fully armored combat. Uh, What was it called? Buhurt. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but that is, those guys are generally not nerdy dudes. They're built like, you know, a ton of bricks wearing full metal armor, Fighting to knock down or knock out full contact with swords. And that that's I think a, a good step. Uh, cause a lot of them started off as nerdy guys and then got into this and got into really good shape and started, you know, going outside. <laughs> so stuff like that that channels that desire to kind of LARP in the right
3: direction is really important.
1: Well, plenty of LARPing has led to great things. I mean, weren't our founding fathers just LARPing the, uh, the Romans.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, LARPing generally, when I, when I talk about LARPing and kind of poke fun, I'm talking about the, uh, the guys that are online pretending to be a six foot four, you know, billionaire that that's been, you know, that puts up 300 pounds on bench for reps, uh, but the historical revival elements of it are actually really important. And I think we need to kind of divorce the the cringe elements from that because almost every major historical movement has been in some way a revival and began in some way as something that we would today call LARP.
0: Yeah, you know, and one of the things, so I, I there was that kind of viral video of that guy uh, with the axes, and he was, you know, just absolutely yoked, and he he jumps off that that snowy mountain into the uh, icy water below, and that that was, you know, pretty cool. That that kind of made the rounds on our side. I I, I love that. And you know, there was a, something you you reposted. Someone said that oh, a guy in his you know, going through a midlife crisis discovers Wim Hof. And then you talked about like how like even expressions of masculinity um, feel artificial and and how like that there's this kind of dismissiveness that everything is shallow, everything is fake. Can can you kind of expound on that?
2: Well, with that in particular, uh, the actual thing that that guy's doing is really cool. Personally, I don't, I don't know if I would have the guts to jump off a giant cliff into a glacial body of water. <laughs> that's just insanely impressive. And most of the people kind of poking fun at him are largely people that would not have the guts to do that or aren't doing that. Uh, but the one thing is that I, I like for example, with LARPing, uh, in a sense, I think that's useful to revive virtues of the past, but something like masculinity that is really core to not just your identity but how you actually act and perceive and exist in the world that's not something that i think you can larp your way back into um and the problem with that is with that video what i was trying to point out at least was it's like liver king where he's you know talking about the ancestral tenets but he's on enough hgh to kill a horse and he's living in a very modern mansion with his you know iphone and all of this so to some extent the there's certain elements of your life that only exist because of incentive structures around them and masculinity is one of those things i think it's very very hard if not impossible to let's say resurrect masculinity by pretending to be masculine you have to actually have the the need to do so it's something that arises out of necessity
3: other than that, that guy jumping off the cliff is really cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, you really made me think of that, I, I, and I appreciate that because you know, for me, I I love you know being on uh, with all of us uh, on the interwebs, and I love sharing videos of me you know throwing tomahawks and doing my cold plunges and uh, you know cooking my steak like that. That's fun, but like you talked about earlier, like if you're doing these things, if you're lifting or training for the purpose of making content and, and TikToks or whatever, then you're missing the, the greater point. And I think that, you know, I feel like I've got friends, you know, they're like, oh, uh, oh I didn't wear my watch, so I can't work out right now because it's not tracking. You know, it's like, oh, if, if I don't post this, it's not real. And so I think if if you're going to do things like that, you have to be doing them off camera. Uh, and then by all means share them to inspire other people, but you, you really have to put in the sweat equity to have it be authentic and genuine. And, you know, I know of no one better than you who really puts time and thought into uh, your reading and, and the things that you're sharing and, we talked about posting with just a little bit of, of uh, righteous indignation, and I appreciate that because everything you say is constructive. You know, you're not just bashing on these, you know, limp-wristed uh, liberals. Like, you're you're actually giving constructive uh, counsel, and I, I love that about you. Uh, I know we're, we're getting close to time. Is there anything else that, that you would say to our listeners about how that they can uh, really Uh, embrace the, the true form of masculinity and and get off the couch.
2: Well, uh, I was talking about incentive structures for masculinity and one of those is danger and experiencing and becoming familiar with danger and not just, you know, you can trade stocks on leverage on like penny stocks. But you need to have something of a physical aspect of it in your life. And that, I think, is best found in martial arts. It's probably one of the safer and more constructive ways to do it. That's better than riding a motorcycle down the road at 90 miles an hour. But both have the same fundamental purpose of sort of igniting something in you that is being suppressed by the world. And that is your... I don't even have a term for it, but masculinity is one one element of it. Just seeking out danger is the single biggest thing you can do to divorce yourself from the worst of the modern world. And from there, seeking out self-improvement is the second thing. Those two things, I think, are the most important things possible. And to me, that comes in the form of uh, martial arts and also, uh, you know, becoming more well-read. Uh, I hope that that comes across making sense, but just generally put yourself in very difficult situations and do your best to have it force you to grow. That That's my thought on it. I love it. That's,
0: that's beautiful. Tom, what else have you got for Alaric?
1: I just thank you so much for being here. Uh, it's been a joy and a pleasure
2: yeah, thank you guys for having me on. This is the first podcast I've been on. I didn't even know what to expect. This has been very
3: cool.
1: And we try to keep it relatively organic and let you uh, tell your story.
2: Yeah, well, I've, obviously you guys are very good at it because that that went in a lot of very interesting directions. Uh, I really appreciate you having me on, seriously. Yeah, thank you
0: for
1: being here.
0: Oh, dude, absolutely. We'll definitely have you back on again, you know, and we can. Uh, do a deeper dive in, into some more specifics and definitely want to follow up with you on on, on uh, your writing as well uh, great article by the way on on uh, training for martial arts and lifting for martial arts uh, we'll definitely post your links in the in the show notes um, yeah so thank you thank you again and to all our listeners uh, share your journey we're, we're excited to see you. I, I I hope this didn't come across as like oh if you post stuff online you're gay because that's not what we're saying um but yeah do it for real and and uh put forth some level of commitment and uh, you guys are going to be very blessed for it and we've been blessed and honored to have you alaric so thank you so much keep it up keep up the good work you are a real inspiration for us and for so many others
3: Thank you. This has been a great experience. I'm glad to share what I can.
0: You bet, brother. And until next time, this has been Alaric, Tom and Brett out.